to Holland Allman, chairman of the Kilman Group, senior advisor to the Atlantic Council, also distinguished columnist. We'll get into that with the latest piece. And, of course, the latest book, The Fifth Horseman and the New Man, How Massive Attacks of Disruption Came the Looming Existential Danger. That to a divided nation of the world at large. The aforementioned Dr. Harlan Ullman and uh, Dr. The balloon that floated across this country before being shot down, marking the latest, maybe the most brazen effort by China to spy on the U.S., but really, there is a history of this, my friend, that goes way back. Great to have you here. Good to be with you, as always, Jay. A lot of history. A lot of history as far as... The efforts of China spying on the United States, there's a lot of recent incidents in which Beijing uh, uh, Harlan has used a wide variety of methods to obtain intelligence, as well as military and commercial technology from this country. It goes back a while. The Chinese have been extremely clever, and quite frankly, a lot of what they have done is open source. I had been close to the Chinese in the sense that I traveled a great deal to China, I knew the ambassadors here, their military intelligence people here. And during all my associations, they would be they would go out of their way to ask questions, but repeatedly saying that they didn't want to get into any classified material. And quite frankly, uh, Washington is so awash with material that you can get that's not classified, that reflects classified things, that <laughs> in many ways it was a walk in the park. But this balloon is extraordinary, and extraordinary in the way that the administration has handled it. As you will know in one of my columns, Jay, or at least in one of my tweets, I raised the question of why did we wait for the balloon to fly over the ocean to shoot it down? Now, you can argue that perhaps a water landing would be a little bit uh, uh, less destructive than a landing on, on hard ground. But, you know, the... The rest of the balloon, certainly the material, the spy material from the three busloads, is traveling at over 140 miles an hour. And so the water is very, very little different than the ground for a hard landing. And so I really wonder if we were getting more material out of the balloon than the Chinese were getting from us. Second, I don't think that the Secretary of State's visit should have been postponed. This is a perfect opportunity to take the Chinese on. basically saying, what the hell's going on? You know, we're supposed to have relations just sending this balloon. And I, in a sense, would almost deal with this in a sarcastic way, saying if the best that the Chinese can do is float a balloon over the United States, they've got big problems. But now we're looking at this to be a quasi or a mini Pearl Harbor that where our sovereignty has been attacked, yet Russian and Chinese and Israeli and British satellites uh, whirl overhead even though that they're hundreds of miles above the Earth's surface. So I think we've become overly charged over this issue. And as you know, I have been arguing that we need to demilitarize the relationship and our strategy with China. We're basing it largely that the Chinese could someday, sometime in the future, invade Taiwan. And quite frankly, if you just take a look at their military capability, they are incapable. They are incapable of launching a Normandy-style invasion of Taiwan. They've got better options for which we're not prepared. A sea and air blockade, an economic blockade, seizing small islands that belong to Taiwan, some kind of regime change from within. Those are, to me, obviously more likely scenarios for which I'm not sure we're prepared. Even now, we're trying to prepare for an invasion of Taiwan. 
And you will have read that several weeks ago, one of the leading think tanks in Washington, CSIS, ran a series of war games over Taiwan and showed that the United States <laughs> is badly bombed. But the fundamental flaw in the war game was <clears throat> they assumed that China had invaded Taiwan, but they made no reference as to what that was going to take. Was it going to take 100 troops or 100,000 troops? And so when you have a scenario that begins with a hypothesis that could be easily challenged, or at least challenged, for uh, its uh, likelihood, as I said, I think that we've exaggerated that the military threat and under-exaggerated, or I said, or ignored some of the real issues that deal with the U.S.-China relationship. And so this balloon is just another example. And, and quite frankly, I think we have overreacted, and I think we should have taken a lower-key approach to it. Now, the White House, now the White House has, um, has taken you know, the stand that it has. We'll see what happens. With us, I agree with you. By the way, I thought that Blinken's trip uh, should have kept going here. Uh, I think it's a yep. great opportunity to confront. I agree with you. And by the way, I was thinking the same thing regarding Pearl Harbor, where we had some intelligence and everything else, and look what happened here. You know, it's kind of a it, uh, listen. You hate to think of those types of scenarios. This is what I was thinking over the weekend. I'm not kidding. Um, so, in essence. You have a guy haul in like Marco Rubio, who is the ranking Republican on the Intelligence Committee, and stating yesterday that China intentionally flew this balloon over uh, these lands to send a message that America is in decline. And especially when we have what we have in the White House, where it's nothing but weakness, uh, are you in full agreement with that, or you, you, you don't align yourself with that? No, I would say that <laughs> this was approved by Xi Jinping. Now, why they decided to do this before Blinken's trip, I have no idea. Um, guessing the Chinese psychology, I think they just they did want to send a message, and what was the message? But sometimes the Chinese, for all their cleverness, are unbelievably clumsy. And so in this particular case, I think they've exposed themselves to ridicule and I think our response was wrong. But I agree with Senator Rubio in the sense that this did not happen by accident. This was not a weather balloon that just lost its way. Uh, this was clearly was done with malice aforethought. And certainly, uh, this would have been one of the things that Secretary Blinken could have discussed when he went to Beijing with President Xi, basically saying, what the hell do you think you're doing? Do we want to improve relations or not? And, you know, the United States is going to respond. We'll probably send a couple of carriers or a carrier into the Taiwan Straits. We'll increase our flight, surveillance flight. But, you know, all these are on the margin. They're not going to have any great influence, it seems to me, in Beijing. Uh, and, it, and, you know, the bigger picture, Holland, to me is, you know, what happens if there is an attack somewhere in the Indo-Pacific region? Uh, yeah. What happens as far as maybe coming the aid of a Taiwan, a Hong Kong? Well, I agree with you. Uh, standing with the Philippines or Japan yeah. or India, for that matter. As well, far as the Chinese moving in on that territory, these are all massive questions right now. Well, I agree with you. Really kind of asking the question, uh, Holland, as far as, you know, what if? Are we, are we going to be ready as far as, uh, you know, coming the aid of a Taiwan or Hong Kong, for that matter, stand with the Philippines, Japan, maybe India. Um, when the Chinese move on their territory, you were giving us an answer, but go ahead, finish up, my friend. 
Yeah, we've exaggerated the threat. Uh, look, China has gone to war in the Himalayas over India. Uh, that's, that those are the local conditions. The last time they went to war in 1979, the Vietnamese pounded them. So I'm not worried about all these kinds of issues. Uh, China does not want a war. Its economy could not tolerate one. And so I think, as I said, we've exaggerated the military threat. And we have under, I think, underplayed the other issues. I think that one of the biggest problems that China faces is a potential economic implosion. Supposing that COVID just goes rampant and all of a sudden the Chinese economy fully shuts down, what does that do to the global economy? Uh, and so there are other things, I think, that are much more dangerous, as I point out in my book, all these issues of weapons of uh, mass disruption. But for the time being, Washington is fixated on the military threat from China and to some degree to Russia. And as we're seeing in Ukraine, we have greatly exaggerated the Russian threat. I think we're doing the same thing in the military sense with the Chinese. Question regarding this situation is yeah. if this balloon was spotted somewhere over Alaska on or around January right. the 28th over the Aleutian Islands, wh- yep. why has nine days amassed since without doing anything? Well, I'm not sure we didn't do anything. Um, you have to realize that the balloon's next trip was over Canada, and I don't think we'd shoot something down over Canada without the Canadians permission, and I think that would have been difficult because we would have to fly airplanes over Canadian airspace. And then the point or the question I raised, it could well be that we were getting far more material from the balloon than the balloon was getting from us. And look, without getting, and I don't have any, I do not have any any more secret clearances, but knowing that our capability is so good, what makes you think we weren't jamming the messages going back to Taiwan, to uh, Beijing? or perhaps substituting for them. So I think that there are other reasons that have not been announced necessarily, because we've got an awful lot of smart people in our Defense Department. And so I think some of them probably said this is a really good opportunity to take advantage of this. Now, I'm speculating, but that's what I think. On the other hand, the administration has said plausibly, we thought that bringing it down over the ocean was safer, and so that may well be. But I, (laughs) I hope there's another explanation along the lines that I suggested that we were getting far more information and intelligence from the balloon than it was getting from us. I will see. Uh, at least the president stayed over the week and he gave the order to shoot down this thing, which was yeah. uh, described as being as big as, what, three buses when reports revealed people had seen it in the sky of Montana, but was advised yeah. by the Pentagon uh, to wait until it was over water to protect people on the ground. Are you buying that fully? No, I think, I think that, that's a reasonable, that is a plausible answer, okay? But knowing the way that Washington works, there may be another answer. And my, sense, my overall sense, Jay, is that I don't think the administration handled this particularly well. Uh, I think that, the, as I, we agreed, the trip by Secretary Blinken should not have been postponed. The president should have had more to say, saying to Americans, look, don't worry, we have this in hand. We can shoot this down at the time and place of our choosing. Uh, we suspect it may well be, but giving the suggestion that the balloon was sailing over America uh, with our permission for reasons that would not be necessarily disclosed. So I don't think they played it very well. We could have turned this into a great PR victory, especially if we use, as I said, a little bit of ridicule, saying is this the best the Chinese can do? Uh, we have fewer worries. But, you know, the Republicans have their hair on fire. How do the other Chinese do this? We want some kind of retaliation. And... Uh, 
you know, sending a couple of carriers in the Taiwan Strait may get the Chinese <laughs> angry, but I'm not sure that's what exactly what we want to do. What we want to do is to get the relations back on track so we don't have these irritants that could lead to potentially some kind of a clash and an even worsening of the relationship because it's not in our best interest and not in China's best interest to maintain a hostility against each other. You've got the two world's largest economies. And in many ways, we're still very dependent upon them, even though we're trying to uh, make ourselves more independent of Chinese goods and services. That may work for us, but it's not going to work for a majority of the rest of the world who need China. And so, as you know, I've not been a fan of either the Trump foreign policy or indeed the Biden administration foreign policy, but we are, as they say, where we are. I don't know if I agree with you. I think I think uh, this relationship is going the other way. You I know, know I you said can, that. I mean, I agree you can go, that. listen, here's the thing. thing. Uh, you we, go we to the Wuhan lab situation. You can go to Taiwan. You go to Hong Kong. You can go to the fact that, you know, the United States and South Korea still engage in warm-up operations. You know, you could go to the fact that uh, right now you can make the case that China is aiding Russia in its war in Ukraine. I mean, there's a lot of things here that have intensified this relationship between China and the United States. I think it's going completely the other way. It's not like it was from way back. I I think she right now smells blood in the water, smells weakness, knows he can take advantage of certain situations. Thus, what he's doing as far as this balloon and everything else, uh, I, I don't see this relationship going any other way. As far okay, as okay, that's my point. That's my point exactly, and that's why we need to reverse it because it's not in our interest or China's interest to do that. And so, postponing the trip of the Secretary of State does not lead to that endpoint. And we agree that this balloon was not an accident. So, how do you exploit this crisis? And I don't think you exploit this crisis by overly crying wolf when this is something that we could have turned against the Chinese. So my view is that our whole attitude and policies towards China, and I fully agree with you that the direction of the relationship is getting worse, uh, need to be to see what we can do to to turn that around. And I just don't see the administration being at all skillful in its messaging, because what it did do, even though the president said shoot this thing down Wednesday, uh, that was, what, five days ago? And I mean, a lot of Americans are saying, how do we let this happen? And as you pointed out, while this is not a Pearl Harbor, people can believe that the Chinese accurately have violated our airspace, and so we can be seen as weak when I don't think we were, and I think it's the messaging that was wrong. But <laughs> that's where we are, and the Republicans, as I said, will, will just cry and complain that the administration looks weak, and quite frankly, to many people, it does. They will portray themselves, uh, obviously, not to appear that way when the president... Gets his State of the Union address uh, on the way tomorrow night. Uh, and that's sure. a, kind of a must-watch, must-listen-to uh, type of deal. Now, one more thing, uh, Holland, as far as the Ukrainian military, they're going to start training on these Leopard tanks today. A lot of efforts, a yeah. lot of efforts to reclaim occupied territory from Russia. The troops they begin training today with Germany's Leopard 2 tanks. Uh, so, you know, Germany agreed to provide these tanks last month following a lot of international pressure to step up its military support and commit to sending these uh, sought-after vehicles. So, uh, very interesting. You know, we're 18 days out from one year 
as far as this invasion began. Right. Uh, where do you see this right now, especially with the involvement of Germany, finally, with some weaponry on their end? Where do you see it? Well, I don't see it going very far. I see this as a stalemate. And not only that, but it shows the weaknesses in our own in our military. The British are sending 14 Challenger tanks. How many tanks do you think the British Army will have left after it sends these tanks? The answer is 150. The British Army only has 150 tanks and no infantry fighting vehicles. Look, what the Ukrainians need, if they are going to push the Russians further east and reclaim Crimea, or at least threaten to reclaim, uh, reclaim Crimea, is the equivalent of about five brigades worth. And that's just not tanks, because a tank by itself, as the Russians found out last year, earlier this year when they tried to get to Kiev, is a target. So they probably need about 500 tanks. The Ukrainians say they need about 300, probably 1,000 fighting vehicles, probably about two or 3,000 more artillery pieces than all the supporting equipment, mining, demining, logistics, air defense, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And the West is by no means going to be able to supply that. So we're giving the Ukrainians enough to keep fighting, but fighting only to maintain probably the current lines, uh, or battle lines, rather than being able to put more pressure on the Russians. And I think that the reason is that the White House and NATO doesn't want to escalate this, because the question you have to ask is, will the United States and NATO go to war over Ukraine? And the president has said no. And the other question you have to ask is, would the United States go to war over Taiwan? And my guess is that the answer there is also no. So once you once you understand the limitations of policy, you do what you have to do. But I still think in Ukraine, we haven't sent enough quickly enough. Uh, and I think that that is just going to lead to stalemate until both sides realize that they can no longer tolerate the losses. And whether that will happen in six weeks, six months or six years is impossible to predict. The leadership in the White House, I kind of agree with you as far as the Taiwanese situation. Uh, if something were to happen with Taiwan, would that push the United States over the edge regarding defensive? I don't know. I don't think it would. I really no, I don't. agree. Here's the point. But here's the point, Jay. This is a non-issue. If we provided the Taiwanese with the porcupine defense and asymmetric defense, they can make the chances of a Chinese military invasion about zero because it would be too expensive. Right. So the question you have to ask is, why have the Taiwanese not adopted this strategy earlier? We can take away, even though I think the threat is de minimis of an amphibious invasion, we can take that probability down to zero. So why haven't we done it? And this applies not just to this administration, but this goes back to <laughs> almost the Taiwan Relations Act. We should have been preparing the China, Taiwan uh, to be able to resist with systems that are really seen as defensive. Mine, missile, not necessarily F-16 aircraft that are capable of attacking the Chinese mainland. And we haven't done that. So for those who are really worried about a Chinese invasion of Taiwan, the solution is really straightforward. My question is, why have we not adopted it yet? I read the column today. I think it comes out today, right, on the in the Hill. Yes. Would the U.S. and NATO go to war with Ukraine and the U.S. over Taiwan? The strategies towards China and Russia remain a mix of contradictions. I implore you uh, to go to the Hill, read Holland's piece. Uh, great job. Great conversation. Uh, and read the book. Yes. Horseman, the New Man. It's being proven every day, Jay. 
fascinating how it's played out. Look forward to the next time, my friend. You stay well. Great, Jay. Good to chat with you. Appreciate it all.